Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another edition of Terry's Talk and Cleveland.com podcast with award-winning sports columnist Terry Pluto from The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com and me, David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. Terry, I am glad to be back. I, we missed last week's podcast and I missed talking to you. I was out in San Diego for a few days visiting some friends. So good sports city. And I know that Cleveland fans. <laughs> That's I know trying to get a timeout. <laughs> You had a sneeze waiting to sneak That's up. That's right. You were out in San Diego. You weren't suffering with all of us with our sinus problems. Well, here, it's funny. So. I went to the Dodgers Padres game on Sunday. It was a Sunday afternoon game. Okay. And I was thinking of Cleveland fans because we've all been here long enough to see the way Steeler fans invade Browns games. And back in mm-hmm. 2016, the way the Cubs fans came in and invaded uh, progressive field for the World Series. But I, for the Dodgers Padres game, I would estimate that at least half of the crowd were Dodger fans. And it was really something you'd go to get a drink and you'd hear a loud roar and it was a Dodger doing something. So uh, it's not just here, just to give Cleveland fans some perspective on that. So it's, uh, it's kind of sad to see they only have one pro sports team left, but uh, it's a great, great place. Nonetheless, you they go, go to the beach all the time. There, Yeah, yeah. It's like Miami. So, all right, Terry, we are on the eve of the NFL draft and for yes. a change, the Browns don't have a first round pick, but I wanted to start off today with a question that you posed in one of your columns uh, while I was off the last few days. And that is, are the Browns better? Where do you stand with this roster, the way it's constructed right now? And then we can go from there, I guess, and talk about the draft. But where do you see this? What's what's the state of the union with the Browns right now as you see it? You know, assuming Watson is you know cleared to play and he doesn't have any lingering injuries that we don't know about or anything like that. Um, I'm not one that believes Watson's a top three or top five quarterback, but I certainly believe he's better than Baker Mayfield. And so that's an upgrade, you know, from a for, for, uh, football perspective. I will take Amari Cooper over Odell Beckham and, um, you know, Jarvis Landry, the different guys they've had. So that's an upgrade in that position, those two positions right there. And I think that's a big deal. Defensively, um, I haven't done a lot. I was trying to think in free agency. So, uh, and you still have Clowney hanging out there. I've been on the bandwagon of wanting a defensive pass rusher in the draft. I still do a defensive end. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if they take one in the second round. Just don't ask me who it is. I, I'm not a draft Mel Kuyper, Dane Bugler draft guru, but even if they were to sign Clowney, Clowney probably is going to do another one-year contract or something like that. Uh, you would be in the same spot a year from now. So I would like to see them uh, bring in a, you know, a guy that's really good. I understand they, they went, what's the guy? Went to Winkovich from uh, Chase Winovich, yep. Winovich from New England and a few of these other guys, but well, they're uh, Sheldon day, although he's a tackle, but they're, 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 they're role players. You know, I want another real player at the defensive end. Yeah. And just real quick, before we go more into the draft, if you get a chance, go check out cleveland.com slash Browns, our mm-hmm. Browns reporters and, uh, you and Doug Maurice have been just going really deep on the draft. So all kinds of analysis, people, Browns mocks, Ohio State mocks. Uh, there's so much there in terms of getting familiar with the players, the positions of depth. So be sure to check that out. But going back to what you're talking about, Terry, it's really an interesting time for Browns fans. Not only do they, the, does the team not have a first-round pick tomorrow night, but every year going into this ritual, Browns fans are always like, oh, my gosh, who, who's going to be starting here and who's going to be starting there? And the discussion seems like it's switched in some ways where you're thinking about this weekend as a whole in terms of, all right, what if Miles Garrett tweaks an ankle? You're thinking about backups and quality depth, Mm -hmm. especially when you get past the second round. I know this is a a draft that's very kind of even between spots 15 and 50 is what I'm, what I'm reading mostly, but in, in terms of overall approach, it's a different discussion this year, isn't it? In terms of the, trying to find guys who can be good on special teams, trying to find guys who can be good to fill in as a starter for a couple of weeks. If somebody gets hurt, the depth, the quality depth is, I think a lot of what the Browns will be looking for, right? If, well, if you look at the, go back to the roster you have right now, you have a pro bowl player at defensive end and, and miles Garrett, and you have a pro bowl cornerback that they, they just signed uh, to a long-term contract in Denzel Ward. I think they have a future pro bowler in Greg Newsom at that position. You know, Newsom is a little bit like Denzel in that you're probably going to have him hurt for a couple of games a year. That was his uh, way, what happened to him back at Northwestern and that now some fans are really upset about that, but I think the Browns feeling is even if they get him for 12 to 15 of the 17 games, they'd rather have that player being good as opposed to you got a guy who's healthy all the time, but he's really mediocre. So that's, I, I've heard of some of the Browns people in their organization said that fact, that was one of the arguments one of the top people gave me when they signed Clowney. They said, we know he could miss a couple of games. Uh, we're hoping he doesn't miss eight, but you know, he might miss a couple of games, but we just think he's so much of an upgrade over anybody else we could get. So you have, you know, on those positions, you know, backfield, you, you still have Trump, Chubb and Hunt. You're loaded there. Dernis Johnson, I hope he comes back. Uh, you know, there's all the what, what exactly is going to come down there. Quarterback, um, Brissett and Watson. And you just, the offensive line, uh, there's been some good stuff that Mary Kay and some others were kind of looking at uh, uh, Jedrick Wills. I mean, this is a huge year for him to see whether he could be established as a left tackle or not. Because if he isn't, you know, then they got to go shopping again. And he get he just, how many games was he really healthy for last year? Remember, he was playing at an awful ankle, and he couldn't even go the distance. You know, rarely do you see an offensive lineman come out of a game. But he was playing on one leg. So 
you're correct. There are some things I'd like to see him get, you know, get some more bolt, get some more uh, depth on the line, but we're not sitting there going, Oh, what are they going to do for, for all these things? You know, these different key positions. Yeah. And another thing that the Browns really have going in their favor is that the strongest positions in this draft kind of dovetail nicely with what the Browns are looking for. I mean, safety is, a, is one of the strongest positions in the draft mm-hmm. offensive tackle. Like you just mentioned, uh, you can never have enough cornerbacks. I mean, we've been talking about that for weeks. It's like having to not, you know, having no, too many pitchers. pitchers. In baseball. That's always been mine for years. Always give me one. And then you also talk about receivers, receivers and edge. And those, and edge those are the, if you were to probably pick the five positions of, of need that the Browns would be looking for the most, those might be the five, I would mm-hmm. think. Uh, and I, I know they need some defensive tackles, but they think they can fill in with some of the guys they have. And, um, you know, whether it's uh, Elliot or I'm trying to think, uh, the, the guy from Ohio State, T- Tommy uh, Togia. Togia. Mm-hmm. Togia, yeah. And then, you know, whether they bring back uh, Jackson from last year, or, uh, just some, uh, some other players. They're not too worried about that. And by the way, you know, it's interesting. We haven't talked about something we usually do with the Browns, linebacker. They brought back Anthony Walker. They have JOK. Um, when you start with those two and then see who else they want to fill in, yeah, they usually play two a lot, five safeties. So that's a that's an encouraging spot. So of all these positions, just to make sure that I'm, I'm clear in where you stand on this, if, if you're on the clock, you're Terry Pluto, and you're sitting in Andrew Berry's chair tomorrow night, and, and the second round comes around, I'm sorry, Friday night. The Browns will be picking until Friday night. But if it's down to safety, offensive tackle, cornerback, wide receiver, and edge, all things being equal, edge rusher, you, you're taking edge, an edge rusher, rusher, edge rusher, edge rusher. I just think I'm, I am a little bit in the camp of, um, you know, the way the big thing is if you if you have a quarterback, you want to protect them, and you want to make the other quarterback uncomfortable. I right now as we're talking, I'm looking to see because I keep thinking I'm forgetting another linebacker that I like that I want to see more. Okay, the linebackers. Here we go. You got JOK. You've got Walker. I think Jacob Phillips can play if you get ever stay healthy. You know, so you have him. Taki Taki's not bad. So those are four right there. Um, you know, maybe they draft one. When you look in the defensive backfield, um, I knew I forgot Greedy Williams is another one you have. So you have Williams and you have Newsom and you have Ward. But to your point, it doesn't hurt to have, you know, uh, another one. They have some of these other guys that, uh, you know, Troy Hill kind of covers the slot. They are high on A.J. Green, uh, the undrafted free agent of Oklahoma State, they, who they gave $150,000 to as a signing bonus undrafted a few years ago. Um, and then you look at the safeties, you have Delpit, you have Ronnie Harrison, John Johnson uh, are the big three there. Uh, of course, Delpit and Harrison have had trouble staying healthy, um, but they, they do have that. So really, you start looking at those things, you feel pretty good about them. I'm looking at the uh, offensive line. Bear with me. That this is a thing here, too. I just want to go through. So you have Harris and uh, what, how do you say Ponick that they got from uh, uh, those what the the, the, the free agent they said, and then you have Batonio and you've got Teller at the guards. I'm just looking to see Drew Forbes is still on the roster. I forgot all about him. Uh, and then they brought back Conklin and you have Willis. They, they're bringing back uh, Chris Hubbard. Now he's not bad if you could ever stay healthy. And by the way, they think uh, they really think James Hudson could develop into a starter within a year or two. Uh, I was told that recently. So that's how it looks. Yeah, and those are the types of players I think that 
fans might be looking to see this weekend. And, and you mentioned you mentioned Hudson, a tackle. Nick Harris has been waiting for his turn and developing. And I'm just throwing a dart here, but I, I one guy I'm kind of interested to see where he goes, and it might be first one, it might be second, who knows, but Daxton Hill, the safety from Michigan, mm-hmm. seems like somebody that might fit what the Browns would be looking for. Someone who doesn't have to start right away. Someone who was a former five-star recruiter, really highly, I don't remember if yeah. he was a four or a five, but he was way up there, played at a big program. And, and Daxton Hill is someone that they could take let him sit behind Ronnie Harrison and and the other guys and learn, and then like a Nick Harris thing, move him into a starting role in a year or, or two. When we you could need, be when you have a, when you have an opening and you need somebody. Cheap. Or remember, deep, defensive backs are another way like pitchers. They seem to get hurt a lot. They just do. They're always pulling hamstrings or something's going on with them. And to your point, uh, you know Harrison just has had a miserable time staying healthy. Delpit, remember, he played on a very bad, I believe it was ankle at LSU his last year, and then he blew his Achilles. Uh, he was reasonably healthy this past year, but, you know, another safety would be would be good too. You know, now fans are screaming receiver, receiver, receiver. All right, let's look at it. Right now on the roster of receivers of note, you got Cooper and you have Peoples-Jones. You got Schwartz. There's another healthy thing. Uh, Andrew Barry likes Jamarcus Bradley uh, as kind of a possession receiver. Uh, they brought him back. I'm not saying go crazy, but that clearly I would, I would love to, by the way, just because I want to take an edge right shirt in the second round doesn't mean I'm skipping receivers. I'm looking at a whole one. I mean, I would want, want to take two of them in the lower rounds uh, if they like them. So that's, that's a good thing there. I'm, I'm curious to see where Jarvis ends up because it doesn't look like it's going to be here. Yeah, with every passing day, and and who knows where Baker Mayfield will be after this weekend? You never know. And we actually, well, I hope it's somewhere just because I'm tired of that. (laughs) I mean, not there. It's just I'm just tired of you know. Oh, I'm sure he is too. And then of course, then you have people say, I think was the Shannon Sharp said, uh, well, they can't even give him away. Well, maybe they don't want to quite give him away yet, and it'd be dumb to just make a bad deal before the draft when you think you might make a little bit better of a deal afterwards. Yeah, I say something else about Baker has been bugging me. Sure. It's like, well, the Steelers would love to get Baker. Well, you know, well, I'd love to have hair too. Okay. And you, you that goes for you. So, so what? So they would love to have Baker. A, I don't think the Browns are trading him there. And B, I'm sure the Browns have no intention of cutting him, paying $18 million so he could pick his own team. They rather would trade him somewhere if they have to pick up half the salary or, you know, throw in a third round pick or whatever it is. They're not going to let Baker just decide where he wants to go. Um, and you could argue, well, if they, they thought he was, they, if they don't like him that much, why, what would they care if he went to the Steelers or not? Um, no, they liked Deshaun Watson better. It wasn't just that they thought Baker was just, you know, the second coming of Connor Shaw. All right, Terry. Well, it's a big weekend. As we know, the draft always is. And just wanted to give a quick shot to remind people, come to cleveland.com Browns this weekend. We will have everything there for you on every Browns pick, all the Ohio State guys who are drafted. And if you want even more in-depth coverage, go to the top of cleveland.com slash Browns. You'll see a blue banner at the top and you can sign up for our tech service and our Browns Insider newsletter. We've got exclusive stuff in there. So check it out. Um, All right, Terry, let's talk some guardians here. You kind of did a deep dive on the Guardians farm system the other day. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about that. Uh, The Guardians 
Baseball America has them ranked as the number 12 farm system in Major League Baseball. And I think MLB.com also has them 12. But it seems like the, the, the phrase we're seeing a lot is that there's a ton of depth, but no stars in this group right now. Mm-hmm. And I thought you got some really good information from the Guardians about their approach, how they're doing things, some of these guys that, that fans can watch for. And I thought it was really interesting in terms of letting people know what's coming down the line here. Well, one of the things that I that struck me, what started my kind of thinking about, I just was paging through the media guide, and I'm looking at uh, the far, the uh, well, who's managing a double A, triple A, and suddenly I'm looking at there's like two pages for the manager and coaching staff. I'm going one, two, three. They got four coaches at each level, double A and triple A. I mean, if double A, I mean, triple A, excuse me, they have a regular pitching coach, plus they have a pitching strategist, and then they have the hitting coach and, a, and a, like a bench coach, infield coach, along with uh, Tracy's the manager. And I'm saying, wow, you know, that's, so I went to double A, and it was very, only there they had two hitting coaches with one pitching coach. And so I thought, boy, that's a lot, because, I mean, I go back to when you would go watch a minor league game, and there was a manager and the pitching coach, and that was it. A player was coaching first base sometimes, um, or or that. They had nobody. Um, and so I, Rob Cirillo was their new farm director. He's 29 years old, and he'd been, um, went to Sir Yale. Fo- Sir Folio. Sir Folio, excuse yeah. me. Yes, yeah, Sir Folio. And so I talk, spent quite a while talking with him about this. This was right at the end of Goodyear. And he made the comment of, well, one, we have to do it this way. He says, not just us, but, you know, Tampa Bay, Oakland, those teams. You've got to do it on your farm system. Secondly, I said, well, you got a lot of coaches. And he said, actually, if you add it up to when a team is at home, we usually have at least one or two other roving instructors in there. So there could be five or six coaches in. He said, but think about in school, generally, um, the lower the student-teacher ratio, the better. And he made a really good point. He said, we don't want in our farm system for players who were drafted low or undrafted free agents to feel that they can't get coaching because the coaches don't have enough time. There was not enough time for coaching coaches to spend with the players where that was the old days. It's like when you only had even like one coach, one manager and two coaches, if you were a 28th round pick or something, you better play well right away. Uh, you're not going to get a lot of attention because naturally the attention went to the high round picks that got the most money. Whereas now the idea is that we don't care where you are. There's somebody that could help you if you want it. And, you know, he mentioned Jack Plezak was a 12th round pick who came to the um, back then the Indians uh, coming off Tommy John surgery. So they have time, they have medical people to rehab them. You know, this is the old, it's a different version of money ball. This is trying to, you know, tip some scales in your balance. So that that's the overall approach. And I found that just odd that both Baseball America and MLB.com, you got 30 teams, how they both came up with 12th, I don't know. Um, and it's funny, Terry, this uh, Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga, who cover the Guardians for mm-hmm. us, have been writing for years about the Guardians approach. They've been spending a lot on bonuses for guys that they draft to make sure that they come into the organization yep. and really trying to focus on on making sure the players are getting the money. And I keep thinking of like when you grow tomatoes every year, right? You can either start them in February in your house on the windowsill and grow 50 seeds, and then you can put them outside. And that's the really 
kind of affordable way to go because you know you're going to start them from the beginning or you can go to the store in june and in or may and buy a bunch of tomato plants that's and pay a lot that's it and yeah it's, it seems like the guardians are doing the the seed approach not just with the players but like you're saying they're investing more in the coaching staff too hoping that the 50 seeds will get 30 great tomatoes out of it instead of before where they're just hoping the seed. so they're paying for farmers and for seeds at the well, same time and hoping it all works together all right let's say i'm going to take a guess on their salaries but most of these guys i think are making between 40 and seventy-five thousand dollars. And I think maybe a manager at a higher level is, but you know, you're, you're pitching coach in that. So the major league minimum now is 700 grand and let's just, let's just go at 50. So 700 grand would pay for 14 coaches is the way I add it up. So that's plenty. And they have all these, we're not even talking about all these coaches and stuff. They have running around a good year for their, uh, Latino development players and the fall league. And they've got a whole bunch of them. And, you know, I was just looking at, uh, but remember too, it isn't just the players that they sign. They are continuing to obtain prospects from other teams. That's the other thing they like to do is get other players, prospects, other teams, prospects for two reasons. Number one being, um, it's easier to evaluate a prospect after you've seen them a year or two in a ball or double a, or at least you have some, some stats to look at. It's so hard when you go into baseball draft where you have, you have a high school kid versus a junior college kid versus a four-year college kid versus a kid who played in Puerto Rico. You know, he's, they're all in the draft and you're trying to kind of sort out how to value one versus the other. Whereas now, like when they were getting all these, that's why the, um, why Cleveland's been so good when they made these trades for prospects is he could, I get, well, let's see how he played in the Southern league. Let's see how he played in the Carolina league versus some of our guys. Yeah. You know, oh, our manager saw these guys. What did they think? So you just have a lot more data. Nonetheless, you have to, as they call them, finish them off. Even when you trade for somebody such as, um, you know, Owen Miller or Arias or um, uh, Quantrill, all these different guys they brought in go back in the old days when they traded uh, CC Sabathia and the player to be named later in that deal was Michael Brantley. His first couple of years, uh, if you look, he had like zero power, zero. He had, he hit singles, but not, and he developed into a power hitter. You know, of course, Michael worked at it, but also it was the coaching he got in Cleveland. Yeah. And one guy that you didn't mention there that I, I, I just happened to see this when I got back from vacation, I was running through my emails, but uh, Daniel Espino, Mm-hmm. The rubber ducks right-hander on Monday, he was named the Eastern league pitcher of the week for the week of April 18th through 24th. Terry, you probably know this already, but I'm going to, I'm going to share it with people who are listening. He struck out 14 batters, including the first 11 in a row. <laughs> I missed that. Route to his, it was for his first win of the season on Saturday against the Bowie Bay Sox. It just happened on Saturday. The 14 strikeouts were a rubber ducks franchise record and the 11 straight strikeouts were one short of the minor league record of 12, which was set in 2019. So Daniel Espino, 21. And I don't know if you probably have seen him, uh, at least video of him, Terry, but Mm -hmm. if you watch him, there's some pitchers where you watch him and they throw fast. And there's other guys you watch and their fastball looks like it picks up speed in the last 10 feet. And then when you watch Daniel Espino throw a fastball, it seems like the ball picks up that last 10 feet. It just goes flying in and you hear the pop and mm. these these guys are double a hitters but they 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 were late and um it's not surprising well, when you see that the well, jim callis from baseball america wrote that he thought he's one of these um, prospect girl types that that this kid is their best 
pitching prospects and CC Sabathia. Maybe that could be. And then the other, I had a couple of uh, guardians people tell me they're not going to rush him, but like he's got big league stuff right now, right now. And on top of that, he has a work ethic, the attitude, all the stuff that they really like. The other guy, because because well, that was the thing, these rating services say they don't have phenoms. I would argue they may, they, he'd certainly have one in, in Espino who's underrated in some of these rating services. And then the other may be Gavin Williams, who they took in the first round out of East Carolina in 2021. And he's a guy that has a chance to, He's been striking out a ton of guys at Lake County. That's a nice thing, too. If you like you like your fan, just go on the websites of the different teams, see when these kids are pitching, which I plan to do, and go check them out. So, Terry, just in terms of when fans might see these guys at Progressive Field, we see this every year where it seems like the team waits until middle of May, the weather starts to warm up. I mean, bringing up a hitter, and you've written about this, is, yeah. is a kind of a different equation because if you're playing in cold weather, you get stinger when you hit. When you, if you don't hit the ball solid, pitchers are kind of a different thing. We, we might see some of these guys, maybe one or two in May, right? That's usually possibly the, sure. And the other yeah. thing that's happening is uh, they've changed some of the rules on when you're arbitration things, when you become eligible for it, they try to take away some of that stuff for the service time uh, part of the equation. Uh, now I was talking to uh, uh, Rob from the uh, guardians about uh, I said, we were talking about Stephen Kwan. He said, well, you know, here's another example, fifth round pick. By the way, they, it was given that the, the Guardians rated him too high. He was, even Kwan himself told me in spring training, he was expecting a 10th round or lower. Uh, they took him in the fifth round. By the way, they signed him for less than the, uh, what, what they call the slot. But, I mean, here he is in the big leagues. And I said, is there anybody else like that? He said that he likes this kid, Will Brennan, who's at Akron. And he's a um, having a. I have to look him up, but I believe he played at Virginia. Uh, but we'll we'll have that in a moment. And he said it's sort of the same thing, where, you know, a college hitter, he doesn't seem to have a ton of power or whatnot. But when you look at him, uh, he, he just makes a lot of bat to ball skills. And uh, he was, uh, I'm sorry, drafted out of Kansas State, eighth round pick. And right now. Uh, Mr. Brennan is hitting 373 at Akron. Um, he hit 290 between Akron and uh, Class A uh, Lake County last year. He hit 288. So uh, this is these are the kind of players that uh, they're trying to develop. And I, I what I like now is they're putting emphasis finally on guys who make contact instead of all these players who strike out all the time. And that I think is going to serve them. Well, um, I really believe that you just have to kind of stay with it and look at those players instead of just putting everybody in that. Does he have power box? Does he have power or not? You know, well, the names we've been talking about here will give guardians fans something to cheer them up when they're watching a, uh, a low scoring affair. Yes, <laughs> it, I know. It's either they're scoring 12 runs or one. So when on some of those slow nights, you can now fans go out and check out some of these uh, young guys coming up. And I'm sure we'll be seeing some of them here as the season goes along. So, all right, Terry, let's take a break. We're going to talk some Cavaliers when we come back from the break. I know you want to talk some Cleveland State basketball. Uh, your faith column this week, which 
has a Rocky Calavito angle to it. And then you've got a Terry's trivia question for me, which I will fail at miserably, I'm sure. So we'll get to all that when we come back in a minute on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Hey, Terry, during the break, we were kind of talking more Guardians. I think there were a couple other guys you were kind of wanting to mention here in terms of minor leaguers that you've been hearing a lot about. Why don't you jump well, into that? Yes. Well, I mentioned the fact that, um, uh, well, Brennan's hitting 373. So I just said, I wanted to see if anybody else is doing anything at double A. And the, the other thing is you look at uh, nobody else at double A sitting over 250. The Eastern League notoriously is very difficult to hit, and especially earlier in the year. Yeah, you know, George Valera is a, a top prospect that they've, they've had there, and he's sitting 239. He's got a couple of homers, but that makes Brennan what he's doing all the more impressive. Um, and the other pitcher that I was told that could come very quickly along with the Spino is, is not the Logan Allen we see in the big leagues now, but Logan T. Allen, who was drafted second round out of Ford International. This guy is in his second pro season, uh, and he is 10-1 with a 2.34 ERA, and he's the guy that is walking only 2.2 batters per nine innings and striking out 12. He doesn't throw exceptionally hard, but as one evaluator told me, he goes, he's just good. And that reminded me of uh, uh, a tribe scout told me way back when I, I saw Bieber pitching well in the minors, the stats I hadn't seen him. And well, he's got good control. He's got a good breaking ball. He's just good. He's just a good pitcher. And so those are two guys that um, Espino and Allen, while they're no, I mean, he, they could come up very quickly. All right. So let's talk some basketball. NBA playoffs are going on. And Terry, this is our first podcast since the Cavs were eliminated. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk about that. I, was I alone in thinking that we should have seen more Kevin Love in the second half of that elimination game? I know there were defensive concerns in terms of stopping Young and and in getting stops on the defensive end. But I, there were a couple of times in that second half where I was thinking, Boy, Kevin Love could hit a three-pointer or two here in this next five minutes that might get them back into it. I don't know. What did you think of the way things ended? And then we can talk bigger picture. Well, I thought Bernie uh, – I mean, excuse me. I thought J.B. Bickerstaff had a bad game coaching. I really did. Um, from He played uh, Jared Allen way too much. It was 30-some minutes for a guy who hadn't played. First game for, back. For, first game back. Mm -hmm. And if you look, he had his points right away in the first quarter, and after that he was out there – struggle he put i mean there's you're watching darius garland put up 27 shots that's bad you're not going to win with him shooting that much uh, and part of the reason is because he felt that nobody else could get off a shot which goes to the point that you had and i did criticize him for playing love only 10 minutes in that game he played 98 seconds in the second half 98 seconds not even two full minutes and, you know, I, I was talking to Chris Fedor, a really good basketball writer about this. We disagreed on this one. He said, well, they were putting whoever Kevin was defending, he, that man would come up and set a pick so that um, Trey Young would end up being guarded by Love. And I said, well, one, there may be a way you could still defend that. I mean, do you have to just have those two guys and the pick and roll? Can somebody else jump out and help? Secondly, he still scored 30 some points, so he didn't stop him anyway. Yeah, how did that work out? Yeah, how did that yeah. work out? And meanwhile, as you said, the offense was stagnant. 
and you just watch that. And I just think, you know, Kevin Love has been so good all year. And he is very capable of it, a big game coming through. Um, I just thought it was a missed opportunity for them. I agree. But if you were to ask Cavalier fans how they felt about the season, I'm sure you heard from a fair few mm-hmm. of them through emails. Just delighted, uh, really excited for the future. Those were some of the words we're seeing from fans in terms of what's ahead. Terry, I wanted to highlight some of these numbers you had in your column the other day. So the Cavs sold out their last 11 home games, and they sold 10,000 tickets in 72 hours for the home playoff game. They were number one in the NBA for new season ticket sales, ticket sales for next season. Overall, their ticket sales were up 154% from 2019-20, which was the last non-COVID season. Their TV ratings were up 72% and ranked number three in the NBA. And as you wrote, they went from 22 and 50 to 44 and 38. Um, that's a good season, right? Even if you didn't get into the official official playoffs, that, that's a good season for this team where they were and where they ended up. I really think Cleveland's a good basketball town. You know, it's a great football town. Uh, it's a good basketball town. And th- you see it here, you know, with the way the ticket sales went and that. Um, and also, I know the Cavaliers people, both times when LeBron left, usually that first season, you still have a, a carryover, people buying season tickets expecting, you know, Maybe Bron, LeBron will stay or whatnot. So you kind of have to look past that year to the following years. And while the attendance would go down, it just didn't totally collapse. And they quickly grabbed onto this team, as you saw, whether it was the ratings or the ticket sales. Um, and I remember like when I was covering them, which I covered uh, from 85 through 93, uh, and that was coming out of the – Ted Stepien era a little bit with world be free and then, and George Carl, and then moving into the Lenny Wilkins thing, they, they were always uh, were among the top 10 in the NBA in attendance for a team that was a contender, but never got to the NBA finals, reached the NBA final four only once in that span, but was a really good basketball team that people could identify with. And so I've saw the same phenomena here with this group. Uh, I do think it would have been, I'm not saying critical, but important to win one of those two playoff games and to get into a regular series. Now, they probably would have got crushed like you see some of these other teams have been doing when they get in. But so what? It it would talk to them. This is what you're doing. Then also would have given uh, given JB, I'm going to Bernie Bickerstaff. I'm feeling old today. Going to uh, force JB to let's see how you do coaching in a four game or or four four wins. In other words, the best of seven. And uh, I wanted to see that. And that I thought was a missed opportunity. As for the rest of the season, um, also, you know what I wanted to see too? What would they have done with Karis LeVert in a series like that? Because there's something funky going on. They can't quite him get him going. But missing in all this, what would, you talk about Karis LeVert, you're talking about Sexton coming back. And I highlighted this. The big problem is they never replaced Rubio with anything close to Rubio. I know it's hard to get a guy like Rubio who's been a quality starting uh, NBA uh, point guard and also a quality Olympic point guard. You know, he's played in huge games his whole life. It's hard to find that guy. But you got to do better than a broken down Rajon Rondo 
and I liked when they got Rondo as a placeholder. They found somebody. I did not realize Levert was so much isolation as part of his game. So that is a key part. I mean, I would like to see them get Rubio, but I'm a little concerned. He now has had two ACL surgeries on the same knee. Now, that's a question. Even though he's going to give you 32, this guy's been playing for pay, as they say, being getting, getting paid since he was 16, playing tons of games overseas before he came to the NBA. You know, so how is that knee? Um, I want to see them go shopping for uh, a guard like that, a two-way guard. Cause it, and, and two names you mentioned possibly are Jalen right? Brunson and Tyus Jones as guys that mm-hmm. might be on the Cavs' radar. So, yeah, somebody like that, or maybe there's a player they could trade for, but Darius Garland was just, you talk about on fumes, this guy needed oxygen just about, I mean, they were just riding him. He averaged 38 minutes a game after the all-star break. You cannot play a six foot one guard that much. And I saw what happened. The Cavaliers, when I was covering them with Mark Price, and the reason I, not just an old guy reference, but Darius reminds me of Mark Price in many ways with the outside shooting. Also with his build, you know, they would play Price too many minutes because when he left the game, they would struggle. And then he started to get hurt. And that's the thing you want to do. This guy is going to be probably in line for a max contract. I'm talking about Garland. But you can't go out there rolling them out there 36 to 40 minutes a night. You can't do this. And they have to address that. Well, and part of the problem was the injury. Yeah. Rubio and then not and then Rondo yeah, was, went down. Rondo was hurt. And uh, but Terry, speaking speaking of guards, so you know, NBA fans like to crunch numbers and oh, if we if this guy moved to this team, then this would happen. But so much of the NBA is about chemistry and ball ball movement and mm-hmm. and who's isolating and who isn't. Does Colin Sexton fit this core group going forward? And what do you think should be done with him? Well, I know what to be done with him. I would just offer him the one year qualifying offer. Take it or leave it. Um, and he might end up having to take it because I don't know how much of a market there is. They could say his knee's fine, and maybe it is, but I'll tell you this. I would be concerned if I were another GM. So this guy has a torn meniscus and missed all that time just with that. Usually it's the ACL that knocks you out, not a meniscus. What was going on there? And that's a, a legit question. So that's why I would do with the one. I would say, all right, Colin, here's how it is. We really like you, you know. Kobe Allen could really spin positive, you know, on everything. We love you. You're part of the core. You started the rebuild. Um, but here's the deal. One-year contract gives you a chance to reestablish your value. You're going to come off the bench, and you're going to be our super scorer off the bench. I do not want to see Colin and Darius starting in the background. It's too small. Nobody guards anybody. No, 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 no. You know, I like the fact – the one thing Levert does – is he does fit in like a Coral and even Lamar, uh, even Stevens. These are these big, tough physical guards defensively. So that that helps play next to Garland. So that's what I would do with him. Um, and then just kind of see how it plays out. That way you're not heavily invested. Yeah, and a lot of times you see a, an athlete take a one-year deal because they have to, because there's yep. nothing else out there. But this might be like you were talking about, one of these one-year deals where it's good for the player. Mm -hmm. He can set himself himself up for a big deal after when it's over could be good for the team because they're not committed long term. And it could be good for the whole NBA because they would get to see Colin Sexton back from his injury for a whole season. So and a lot of these guys who are these smaller guys, Lou Williams and some of these others 
who have played a ton of years being these small scoring guards off the bench. You know, they, they make a ton of money playing 18 to 25 minutes a night, throwing in 15 points. It's a, it's a really good role. And then they don't have people beating you over the head about how bad you are defensively. All right. We'll see how things end up there, Terry. It's going to be an interesting off season and uh, it'll be uh, NBA finals be over before we know it. So by the way, and they do have, I mean, the, the, the good side is that they do have their lottery pick. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, not, not a lot of ping pong balls, but you know, maybe, maybe you get a number eight or something like that, which was what Colin Sexton was. And the draft got a little more intriguing uh, with, Malachi Branham from Ohio State entering mm-hmm. the draft today, who went to St. Vincent, St. Mary's from Columbus. So there's another player who's probably lottery worthy. So maybe a calf. You never know. So, all right, Terry, let's, um, your faith column this week, it's going to go online Saturday morning and it'll be in Sunday's Plain Dealer. You got an email asking about should you call a dying friend? And you decided to reach out to someone you've known for a long time to get his thoughts on it. Uh, Rocky Calavito, why don't you talk about your faith column this week and kind of the genesis and, and how you got going on, on this? Well, topic. this guy, I, I called him Sean, but that, that's not his real name because there's some specifics in there that he would there. He, he has a cousin that um, while they, they live, he, his cousin lives in North Carolina. He lives up here, but they would spend summers together and they were pretty close. Well, his cousin has uh, Lou Gehrig. It, it, it's not, it's like Lou Gehrig's disease. It's one of those terrible degenerative things. And he hadn't talked about him for a while. So he called him. And the first call he said was kind of stilted, didn't go all that well. And he just didn't know should he call again or what. And so I started to answer. And, and as I was writing the comment, I started to write about how, um, I remember Nancy Score, Herb Score's wife, told me that after Herb had his stroke and had lost his ability to speak, my father went through the exact same thing. You know, people stopped calling. But the one guy who called a couple times every month was Rocky Calavito. You know, Rocky and Herb go way back, all the played in the minor leagues together. Rocky told me they they'd room together parts of seven seasons between being in the, uh, in the major leagues on the road. That's back when they had roommates there and then the minors and, and that. And so I read Rocky, the, uh, email and I said, well, wasn't it kind of hard to talk to her because well, it was because in one respect, because of the lack of speech, he says, but I just started telling stories from the old days. And he goes, I just wanted to hear him laugh. And, and, you know, Herb just said it like my dad would say, man, 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 Herb had a couple of words he said, and that was about it. And it just, it just didn't work. He said, finally, he said, tell that Sean guy, tell him to call his cousin. Don't worry about it. And then Rocky was on a roll. It's like, he said, then he started talking, you know, know, I had this close friend. This guy was a great guy and he got real sick. And he said, now this guy had found these other guys, jobs and everything. And I call him and a couple other guys, that was it. Nobody else was calling him, but boy, they all showed up for his funeral and said great things. And I'm sitting there thinking, why they just, Tell him that way he's still alive. Yeah, when it makes a difference. Instead yes. of it, yeah. Instead of there. And I, and I thought, what wisdom. I was so glad I called Rocky. You know, because actually I did the same thing I started writing about. What am I writing about? Just call him. You know, Rocky's 88. He's in a wheelchair because he had lost part of his right leg to diabetes. He's always telling me, call anytime you want. He goes, I'm not doing a lot. I'm here. And and that opened it all up. And, you know, it's a, it's a, Rocky's a devout Catholic. He's a faith column. And, you know, I, I brought in even some, this guy from psychology today and some other stuff to, to round it out. But just because you feel a bit awkward or whatever when calling, don't worry about it. 
Secondly, if you call a second or third time, it probably won't feel as awkward. But you may not expect them to call you because of the physical limitations or whatnot. They may just not do it. And then finally, you know, if the person is in a lot of pain or going through some treatments and, you know, say have getting chemo, they should have permission. I, I just can't do it today. But that doesn't mean stop talking. That's meant they just had a rough day. Yeah. And, and I think you made this point too. The, the call is more important than what happens in the call sometimes. Oh yeah. 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 Just don't, just don't get in some argument. Don't put so much days. pressure on yourself. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. yeah. Just do it. And it, you know, people like to hear old stories. I, and you know, I said, well, what was some of the ones you would tell Herb? And he said, well, you know, we only have one car between us and the miners. He says, so like, because it seemed like it was always me doing this. So Herb would have some date somewhere. I'm driving him to the date. They're somewhere. Now I'm sitting in the car for two or three hours waiting for Herb to get by to pick him up and take him back, you know, and he just starts laughing because Herb loved to hear those. And he goes, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the other ones. I'm sure they had girl <laughs> stories, but uh, but it was things like that. And then Nancy, his Herb's wife, would say it how it just lifted him when Rocky called. And they don't have to, you know, 10, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever. It didn't have to go on for it you know, long time. I mean, I had when my dad had his stroke, I mean, that was the big deal to find somebody who could, um, well, it's funny. He, his aunt would call, his sister would call my aunt who was horribly hard of hearing and my dad couldn't talk, but they'd be on the, on the phone for quite a while. I don't know what the heck that was going on there. And then, um, he had one other guy who would call a guy that, um, uh, he worked with the, the old Fisher Fazio foods and that, but, but that was it. David, not too many others. All right. Be sure to check that out. Like I said, Saturday online and Sunday in print. Uh, so thanks for that, Terry. All right, Terry, we got uh, one Hey Terry question this week, and it comes from Rudy W. He has a proposed Browns trade in the draft. And Rudy says, Hey, Terry, if a quality wide receiver, Burks, Pickens, or Dotson falls to pick 40, the Browns should trade Mayfield and the number 44 pick to Seattle for the 40th pick. So they would flip with Seattle Browns would get 40 and, and then they would give up Baker Mayfield and Seattle moved down to 44. And he says the rationale for this move is that the Browns would move ahead of Atlanta and the Colts who both need a receiver. The Browns will get one of the top wide receivers. If one happens to fall down to that 40th spot, it resolves the Mayfield issue. The Browns wouldn't have to give up their number 118 pick to move up. Seattle wouldn't have to give up a draft pick to get Mayfield, and it would eliminate all of the burden of Mayfield's salary cap. Um, so anyway, it's, it's Seattle at 40, Seattle at 41, Indianapolis, Atlanta, Browns. So the Browns would move from 44 to 40, give Seattle, Baker, Mayfield, and the teams would flip picks, and then Rudy is suggesting they take a quality wide receiver at 40. So... What do you think? I jump. I would jump at that so fast if I were the Browns, because even if I take my pass rusher at forty, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I want that pick. That, as he said, it takes care of Mayfield. Uh, Seattle has some salary cap issues that they would have to resolve there. I throw in money to make that thing make work. I really would. I do that so fast because you get Mayfield. He's over there in Seattle. He's in the other. You know conference and that um i would love to see that that this guy should work in the analytics department i like it <laughs> i really go, do yeah and, and, and knowing the way they would work they probably would make it more complicated It'd be some sixth round pick and some other it doesn't matter 
the heart of the genesis of that is right on the mark. I still can't believe that Seattle's going to go into the season with Drew Locke as their starting quarterback. Um, and it just makes a lot of sense for both teams. Excellent. A plus. That is the best trade proposal in the history of the Terry's talking David Campbell <laughs> podcast right there. Hall of Fame. In nominees, fact, so. tell him this. If he is to send in, email me his home address. He will get a free book signed by me for that. All right. High praise for a, a trade proposal. We'll see. And you know how it is. Terry. And, now, and then here come the dumb ones after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's for uh, that's for later on. So, all right, Terry, yeah. um, before we go into Terry's trivia, hey, if you do want to get a question on the podcast, you can send us an email at sports at cleveland.com or you can hit Terry up on his Facebook page and we will try and get it onto the podcast and maybe you'll get a free book out of the deal. You never know on, on Terry's talking. So, all right, Terry, this is a little bit different. I was coming back from vacation and you actually have a Terry's trivia question for me, which I am sure I will flunk, but let's do it. Go okay. Ahead. You were in San Diego, and of course, I wrote Loose Balls, at the ABA. They always say the definitive book about the ABA. It's the only book that really looks at the entire <laughs> ABA, but it is a definitive one. Um, the remarkable thing is the thing still sells about a thousand copies a year, which came out in the late 80s. So that makes the author happy. All right. You were in San Diego. They had first the San Diego Conquistadors, and then later they became the San Diego Sales. They had three guys on their coaching staff during that few years that they were there in the middle 70s. Two of them later became head coaches of the Cavaliers, and a third is a well-known NBA Hall of Famer, and those names are? All right. So I'm going to take a stab at the one who was not a Cavs coach. Yes. At least I don't think he was although he coached pretty much every other professional and college basketball team in the history of the game. And I'm going to guess Larry Brown. You'd be guessing wrong. The Ooh. NBA hall of famer was Wilt Chamberlain. No kidding. And he coached wearing sandals in the All ABA. Right. All right. So his, now I'm looking for two guys who coached the Cavaliers. His assistant who really did all the work later became a Cavs coach. And he coached, let's see, he coached in San Antonio and I want to say one or two other places, but San Antonio was the main place. He was the head coach. Besides, he was one year with the Cavaliers. All right. And it wasn't Musselman, was it? No, Musselman is the other guy, but that's not who I was thinking of. Oh, okay. So I, Musselman I then replaced the uh, Will Chamberlain slash coach to be named later. Yeah, Bill Musselman. Okay. And he was with them when they were called the San Diego Sales. They changed their name, but that. Uh, he's kind of lost. I, in I can't even fathom. He on even briefly, although he never coached a game for Kent State, he was a head coach at Kent State, and his name is Stan Albeck. Oh, Stan Albeck. You know, I never, I always associate Stan Albeck with the Bulls more than I do the. Yeah, Cavs. the Bulls. Yeah. He was, but he was with the any and at San Antonio, he was. So, um, the San Antonio. So there you go. Going to tip off. So that's yes. a good question, Terry. So the three were Bill Musselman, Will Chamberlain, and Stan Albeck. Yeah, try to get them in the same sentence. Yeah, that's a good that's a good crew there. I'm sure they won a lot of games with with. No, they they did not. In fact, they had this the first year they they thought they were going to play in the bigger arena in San Diego, and they couldn't for whatever reason. The idea was to get Will Chamberlain to play in the ABA, but Chamberlain there was some sort of you know contractual thing, so he was in limbo. So they made him the coach, 
and with, with all back and their thing in their small, like 2,800 seat arena, they called it the, the basketball's tallest coach in the league's smallest arena. I don't think that really does anything for a motto, but that's, they <laughs> tried that. Try putting that on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that about does it, Terry, before we go every week, I introduce you on the podcast as award-winning sports columnist and Terry, congratulations. It is just out today. The 88th National Headliner Awards are up on their website. The awards were founded in 1934 by the Press Club of Atlantic City. Terry, congratulations. You won second place for sports column and third place for sports news writing. And this is, like I said, a national contest. It's against some of the best sports writers in the country. And that's uh, quite a feather in your cap. Congratulations, man. Way to go. It's even better to win them when you're on Medicare. (laughs) <laughs> so, is that a separate division they have the medicare yeah, yeah, yeah. Best yeah. sports writing by a medicare yeah, that's why i got that yeah right but, <laughs> yeah best sports writing by a bald columnist on medicare named after a former planet that's what it because remember and the nominees kicked, are and the nominees are yeah i don't know who else has been kicked out of the solar system lately but i i'm hey i'm at the point i always tell younger writers that um Awards are like fish. This sounds like something out of Forrest Gump or something, but but they are. They're like fish. They're in the water. You don't jump in the water after them, but if they jump on the boat, don't be afraid to put them up on the wall. That's nice. I like that. And the idea being, just don't write something to get an award. So yeah, focus uh, on. The work I, I know. I know the story that, like that. Uh, uh, I think at the third place was the one I did. Oh boy, I had to go down this road where I couldn't finish it. The Olymp, the, the lost Olympian silver medal winner from Cleveland, and he he went to Cathedral Latin High School, Paul Drayton. You know, like who? I remember because I got an email from a guy who was on his track team at Cathedral Latin. They go, "Why don't you ever write about Paul Drayton? He went silver in the Olympics," and I'm like. Who is Paul Drayton? Well, it turned out that was what was fun to go look up and find out who he indeed was. Yeah. He worked for Parks and Recreation Department for many years afterwards. And and it's like they were telling me, I don't know enough about track and field. Like if he had come along like three years earlier or three years later with the what his times, he would have won gold medals. But he was just, you know, it's kind of like we're running up against Michael Jordan in the finals or whatever it is that, 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 that's who he was. So, but that, I know that was the, the third place. So I was part of that story just because it was like, it was all new to me. All right. Well, congratulations on that. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for this week's episode of Terry's talking. Hey, again, hit us up sports at cleveland.com. You could send us a trivia question if you want, as well as a regular question. And we'll try and get it on here. It'll do it. Anything else, Terry? That'll do it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're having a lot of fun with these. We hope you are too, and we will catch you next week on Terry's Talking.